Mac Power Users, Episode 111, Workflows with Less Posen. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with Katie Floyd. Hi, Katie. Hey, David. We've got a guest today who I've been admiring from afar for several years now, and it's Les Posen. Les, welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. Now, now Les, you are uh, you run a website called uh, PresentationMagic.com. And uh, as you can, you can already tell from the accent, Les is from Australia. In fact, is it Brisbane you're from? Uh, Melbourne, which is the uh, southeast corner of, uh, yeah. of Australia. Yeah. Okay. And so Les is a uh, he writes this presentation magic site, and he thinks a lot about giving better presentations. I saw your session at MacWorld a few years ago, Les. I thought it was outstanding, and it was one of my highlights of MacWorld last year. Yeah. And so, so we've had you on the list to get you on the show for a long time, but uh, we thought we'd have you on to talk a little bit about Keynote and uh, presentations in general with current Apple technologies. And I think probably the best place to start is the fact that Keynote has the number 09 in front of it. Which means here we are in 2012 with a three-year-old presentation application. Well, it's about to be four years come uh, another eight weeks. Yeah, that's right. You know, it premiered at Macworld. I remember that. Hard to believe four years ago in January. Keynote 09, yes. Yeah, and, and that was a really good update, frankly. I mean, I... In my legal stuff, for years, I always was doing these uh, presentations where I would be animating little units or things around the screen, and they did the magic move, and they, they really put some nice features in the Keynote 09, but I, it's hard to believe. It's almost four years now. Um, What's I mean, interesting is that, is that PowerPoint's probably been updated twice since then, and in some respects has, in terms of its feature set, has leapfrogged uh, Keynote with certain things that it can do. On the other hand, I still wouldn't use it for <laughs> for my work because it still is below par on so many things that that I value. Yeah, what are those things? Well, clearly those the the clarity of text, the sharpness of of the images, the ability to move images around and resize them without sizable pixelations. The range of builds and animations, which, you know, if I go to a, especially a scientific conference, never, ever get used. And I see over and over again the same old background. So at least with Keynote, we have some, some even with the built-in ones, the default ones, we have an attractive set of backgrounds and themes, as they're called. And then there's a third-party industry, if you like, that have, in, have come up with some very nice uh, themes. So for me, whenever whenever I go to a conference, especially a scientific conference, and I see the Dell projector start up, I go, oh, I, I reflexively clench various parts of my anatomy, thinking, what am I in <laughs> for for the next hour or so? Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny, unless I, I skip right over that, I guess, in addition to becoming, you know, a presentation guru, can I use that word with you? Is that all right? That's okay. Yes, yeah, sure. Uh, okay. But you also have a, a day job. So tell us just a little bit about that. Well, yes, for the last, uh, I mean, since 1982, I've been a psychologist, and since 1990, a clinical psychologist. And my specialty has been uh, the treatment of ang- assessment and treatment of anxiety disorders, um, especially fears and phobias, which have become to be very intrusive into people's quality of life. So, and these often revolve around transport disorders. So, 
uh, or transport fear. So fear of flying, bridges, tunnels, elevators, public speaking, not, not surprisingly, um, because these are very intrusive into people's quality of life. People don't take jobs. They don't travel to certain areas. They don't visit friends because of their, um, their behaviors, uh, which are generally avoidance behaviors. So I've been using my uh, technologies to, um, to assist me in my work with patients. So uh, it's a natural uh, connection between um, public speaking, for instance, and presentation and design and using Keynote. So yeah, it all comes the, together very nicely. And the thing you do so well when you talk about this stuff is you bring in your training uh, with respect to an audience's reaction to slides. Which, yes. So my, which, my colleagues in this field, so who, who are very well known, very well published, such as, as uh, Guy Reynolds and Nancy Juwati, uh, are basically citing uh, other scientists for the whatever they do in terms of um, uh, the human quality of it. But their principal area, of course, is design theory. And I come from a, from a quite different perspective. I'm, I appreciate the design theory, but I very much come across come from a, a position of, you know, we're human beings and we, and we have brains and they work this way. Yeah. And they don't work the way everyone thinks they do when it comes to creating a presentation. Well, one of the things that I do in my, in my all day workshops is show people some videos to the 1960s on a topic known as social conformity. One of the oldest of the social psychology topics of how does what happens when people get into a group and how difficult it is to be that one person who says, I don't think it's working. And that's the philosophy I think happens with, with uh, presentations, that we've always done it this way. I'm not going to go up against my boss who's doing it his way or her way, nor my lecturers or my professors. They've been doing it this way for years. I'm not going to be the one who says, oh, can we change it? So a lot of what we see in presentations is due not because it works, but because of social conformity. This is the way we've always done it. So why are we going to change? Yeah, and really the software is designed around it. And by the old way, I'm talking about the presentation with a bunch of bullet points and small text and all the things that it's very easy to do if you open any of these presentation apps out of the box. Well, and if you look at it, the templates are set up that way. They want you to have a heading at the top and then either bullets or maybe bullets in a picture or maybe a couple of rows of bullets and maybe a couple of columns of bullets on this one. I mean, that's exactly what this presentation software is set up for you to do. Just just plug in your bullet points and, and go. So the argument has been that if, if this is the way that Microsoft uh, kind of wants you to do it, who am I to argue against them? They've been doing this for you know for thirty years almost since nineteen eighty seven when um, I think eighty seven when PowerPoint first came out, having been purchased. I think I think PowerPoint is what I talk about. I think PowerPoint was called Forethought, and it was Microsoft's first external purchase of software, and it's the one that started off Microsoft Office. Yeah, and in fact, it started, it started on the Mac, if memory serves. Yes, it was there just to produce black and white um, cellulose overheads. That's what its ma- major purpose was. Yeah. Yeah, it started, it was originally designed for the Mac, thanks to Wikipedia. I'll put this in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. The source of so all that, knowledge. That's right. And, mis- all and much and misinformation. Yeah, well, yeah. I'll take the so, word on this one. Yeah. So what ends up happening is that people just follow suit and, and no one wants to be the one that argues against it, except when I do my workshops, um, especially to, to power users of PowerPoint. Um, this is when I'm teaching presentation skills in general, not Keynote. So I, I, I'm agnostic. I don't even mention my software. But halfway through 
my presentations where we're talking general about presentation skills, someone who's a heavy end user of PowerPoint puts their head up and says, Les, you're not using PowerPoint, are you? And it's not just because of the style. It's because they don't recognize the themes and also the animations, the moves, the builds, the transitions. They look at it and say, I've not seen that before. Yeah, and that's they know what I, they're seeing something different. Yeah, and that's what I call the unfair advantage of Keynote in that it's not used as much as PowerPoint. So uh, even if the, the PowerPoint presentation builds and backgrounds were superior, which I don't really think they are, but even if they were, uh, people see them all the time. So when you show up with Keynote, like you said, even just a built-in template, uh, it looks noticeably different. And I get that from juries all the time. They, After I'll finish a jury trial, uh, jurors will say, hey, I really liked your PowerPoints. Can you please send me your uh, your PowerPoint? I like to use it. I'm a sales guy or something. You know, And I always have to break their, you know, their hearts and tell them, no, it won't work. You know, you got to have Keynote. But I've probably sold more MacBook Airs to CEOs than many other companies who sell Macs. <laughs> because oh, the CEO comes up and says, you didn't do that with PowerPoint. And I go, no, it's Keynote. And you did that on an Apple, didn't you? And I go, yeah. And I bet you Keynote only operates on an Apple, right? I go, yep. (laughs) It's in the legal profession, too. I mean, because there's guys who are diehard PC guys, and uh, they will have a MacBook they keep in a drawer, and they do one thing with it. They run Keynote, and that's the only purpose for that computer. Uh, And so you definitely see that out there. And uh, I agree with you, though. I've been looking at PowerPoint as it goes through its iterations, and it is much, much better than it used to be. I mean, I felt like, I don't know, four or five years ago, it was laughable when I tried to use it, and it's not that way anymore. I I do some presentations where I collaborate with someone on the PC side, and I've found over the years it's easier just to work with them than try to do have two separate presentations or try to export my keynote to PowerPoint, and then, you know, it just never works. It's much easier to say, okay... I've been coaching someone who's been running uh, PowerPoint on her iMac because she's giving some lectures at a university and she's touring through, I think, Rwanda talking about genocide in Rwanda. This is her main area of, of research and and activity. And I had to cr- help her create some um, – uh, shift some of the university-based PowerPoints, which is the standard you know, six-by-six, six, as we call it. Six yeah. lines of text and six words per line, and that's yeah. the rules, and don't change them, please, um, into something a little bit more suitable for her audience. And, uh, gee, it was a frustrating experience. Now, I don't, I'm normally pretty adaptable, but she wants to use PowerPoint because that's what was expected of her, and I had to work with her in PowerPoint Wow, it was such a difficult thing to do coming from Keynote. Just moving you know, pictures, images onto the slide deck was such a hassle. Yeah. Well, you know, it is interesting. Uh, I think Microsoft is definitely making moves, and it's very curious that Apple has not made any moves with, with Keynote. And I get that they've been busy moving over to what they consider the next big thing, you know, all this mobile stuff. But at the same time, I would love to see for Apple Keynote to get an update. I mean, at this point, it's it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, every time we have a big major Apple announcement coming up, new hardware coming up, or even like when they were going to – everybody knew they were going to attach Keynote to iCloud just recently. And, you know, I always send out some tweets or do a post about how, okay, well, hopefully we'll get a new upgrade to iWork. 
That football just keeps getting pulled out from under you, doesn't it? Yeah, I know. It's kind of embarrassing, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I I stopped doing that a while back on my presentation saying, you know, the next one. I mean, I look and I try and see the – uh, if there are any clues of using new effects and builds, you know, it's one. It's interesting when when Steve Jobs was doing them, it was one of the the only pieces of Apple equipment, if we can use Keynote as that, where they transmitted ahead of time that there was an update coming. Sure, because you saw were, the builds. Yeah, <laughs> and you'd say, "Hold on, that's not that's not in it. That's something yeah. new." And we'd all you know run around you know blogging about it. Wow, wow, wow! I got so many hits on my website when I whenever I did. Things like this because it got picked up by all the you know the mainstream Mac media on on the web because yeah. everyone was so excited about this. But it really, it was the only upfront leakage, if you can put it that way, that something was coming. But of course, it's a bit like the boy who cried wolf. How many more times can you say it's coming? It's coming! It's coming! And it doesn't come. Do you yeah. think any of that is the fact that they're trying to bring the desktop version of Keynote more in line with the iOS version of Keynote, and and in order to do that? there's only so far they can go with the desktop version because we've already seen, at least at this point, we've already seen that there are significant, there's certain effects and there are certain transitions that won't run on the iOS version of Keynote. And with this big iCloud initiative and iCloud push, you know, Apple wants everything to be up in iCloud and, and the transition to be seamless. And I know when I'm designing a Keynote that I know that I'm going to be running off of an iOS device, I have to give it some thought. Okay, I can't use that transition. I have to use this transition instead. Which is why I don't create anything on Keynote in the iPad. It just doesn't work for me. And every so often I've got to coach people who come to me and I help them with the iPad because that's what they want to use. But as a, um, as a real it's got a count kind of objective, for me, Keynote on the iPad is great for schools and in, in other dimensions but for my work what i do no it's it, it might be there as a backup in case the macbook falls over but uh but i, I would not use it to create my my it's really got account uh presentations okay i wanted to talk about that later but since we've waited in let's talk about that for a little bit um uh, clearly you know people are moving towards presenting with mobile devices i'm doing it myself increasingly and um, I don't know if you've tried it yet. Well, I guess that's a good question. Have you ever given a presentation off your iPad to a group of people yet? Yes, when I was at Macworld 2010, and I think, no, it must be 2011 because the iPad was released 2010. So the next year, Paul Kent at IDG allowed me to do a keynote on the iPad, a uh, little one-and-a-half-hour how-to session. And... Uh, it was okay. It wasn't one of my best performances. I, I wasn't really um, happy with my own work, and it, that, w- that was reflected in some of the, res- the evaluations too. It was. It, it, I just wasn't comfortable with just using my fingers to move things around. I was just. It just wasn't for me. But I know that a lot of young people coming through in schools and other places are uh, are loving to use Keynote, and really, and some of the reviews of the iPad say that Keynote was made for the iPad. This is just terrific. So perhaps yeah. with the new with the iPad four with the A six chips and so forth, perhaps we will see a greater um, similarity between desktop and and iPad versions. But I, I have a lot of people asking me. I'd love to do it. There's one problem that people haven't been able to solve yet, and that's how do you remotely control the uh, Keynote on the iPad? Have you well, have yeah, you that, made a solution for that? I think right now the only solution is the Keynote remote app for the iPhone which is problematic because as thin and light as the iPhone is, 
it's still quite heavy. And it's, it's not as elegant as having just a simple uh, presentation remote in your hand. That's right. So I've not yet been able to find a solution. And until that happens, because I, I tend to not – well, I never, in fact, stand behind a lectern. I always ask ahead of time to be given a, a, lap, a lapel or lavalier microphone so I can roam the stage and even roam the audience, depending on what sort of presentation it is. But I never stand behind a lectern. So I need to be able to remotely control my slides. One could walk around with the iPad in one's hand and remotely control it that way wirelessly, but that's a, that's a difficult solution at this point. I think uh, it's, it's, at this point, you have to do it with an Apple TV and have the Apple TV somehow connected to a projector. I think that's probably the way to do it now. And, and in a public sphere so far, I've yet to find anyone offer me an HDMI connection to a, to a projector. It's all still VGA. Yes, yeah, so, so it's interesting to me because I, when it first came out, I, I thought the iPad was a great device for a small presentation. By small, I mean two or three people. And the reason why I think it's so great is if you have a good keynote build and you're sitting with, and I'll use my day job as an example, a client, I'll kind of flip through a presentation with him that I've got on the iPad, and then I will hand the iPad to the client. And that allows the client to have control of it at that point. And the the controls are so simple. You know, you flick back and forth to go forward and backward in slides. We can continue talking as I sit next to her, and she can flip through, and you can see where she stops and she's studying something. And then you can so you get immediate feedback as to what where the question areas are, and you can talk to them about that. It seems to me like it was very good for that. But for the idea of a traditional presentation of standing in front of a room full of people. Like you, I was very hesitant. I mean, uh, you know, at the beginning, and as you experienced this back then, I'm sure, just the mechanics of getting the dang thing to uh, hook up was difficult. You had to have it plugged into a cord, and the cord had to be stretched across the room to a projector. And, you know, there was a way to do it, but it was not artful at all. I mean, the iPad's meant to be held and, you know, walked around with, not stuck to a lectern with a bunch of cords plugged into it. That's right. So and, I, now, and now that you've prompted me to remember, uh, one of the hassles I had when I did that Macworld uh, demo, it was probably the first time it, at Macworld that Keynote on the iPad was was demonstrated. They gave me a, a an overhead projector to show uh, the iPad I screen. because. Those, yeah. Yeah. And it was just one of those electronic. It was just terrible because it kept losing focus every time yeah. you you swiped the um, the iPad screen and a new set of icons came on. It had to refocus, and it was just terrible because at this point, of course, there was no on the iPad one which I was using. There was no video out. You had to jailbreak it to do that. And yeah, these I were mean, back you, in the days before AirPlay. Exactly right. Oh, yeah. Now it's I mean, now it would be a cinch to. In fact, I did it on Saturday and knocked the socks off people because I used a little. There, there are two ways. If you're not using AirPlay, and that is sorry, if you're not using Apple TV, but your MacBook is plugged into a VGA projector uh, to get your iPad onto the screen, yeah, and that's using right. either Air Server or reflections from um, from uh, Parrot. Yeah. And what you see, you, you actually see with a, they've got a lovely outline of the iPad, and you can actually have an iPad and an iPhone sitting simultaneously up on the big screen and be demonstrating things on them, uh, which is yeah. really neat. And that's over the Wi Fi. We've used those tools uh, extensively in our Apple user group meeting. I know, Les, you said you, you ran an Apple user group yourself. 
And it yeah. has just opened up a whole new world in terms of, of demonstrations. And uh, w- one of my favorites that we've done recently is, is we, we had two people demonstrate draw something. With with dueling iPads up on the screen, and they just loved uh, yeah. it, absolutely loved it. But, yeah, so these are, these are inexpensive apps, like nine or ten dollars or something. So um, yeah, and very cleverly done, and, and instant on, and you can resize and reframe and do all sorts of things, and and they change orientation, or you can lock it into one orientation, your portrait or landscape. So when, when you've got an audience that, that I was using on Saturday, which a bunch of psychologists want you to know a little bit more about how to use technology. You know, they sort of sit there saying, "I think I'm seeing something pretty special, but I don't know why, because they're just not. <laughs> they just don't do this sort of stuff." Yeah, and so like like you, I I was very hesitant about it at the beginning, but the tools have come a long way, and now you can use the iPad in the way it was meant to be used. You know, walking around with it in your arms uh, in front of a room full of people and have that screen mirror up to the screen. And like you said, there's really two primary avenues to do that. The first is have your Mac plugged into the projector and then have your iPad project on your Mac's screen. So, you know, it's just a simple connection between those two. And you can use that Reflections app is the one I would recommend. I, in fact, the books I write, they're all done with Reflections, uh, all right. the screencasting stuff. So, so what I've learned to do, though, is you, you need to bring along your own wireless router point. Now, either it's going to have a live internet connection or maybe it's, it's an, Apple, an Apple Express that simply yeah. plugs into the floor and both Mac and, Windows, uh, and Mac, Mac and iPad and iPhone share the wireless connection. Exactly. Uh, not necessarily access to the net. What I've so discovered- stop, stop right there for one second. Let's go through that. So what you're talking about, you take like an Airport Express. Apple makes them for 100 bucks. Uh, yep. You can plug it in the wall. You can create your own little private wireless network. And it doesn't have to be plugged into the Internet. It doesn't matter because, in fact, in some ways, it's better not having it plugged into the Internet because you don't want notifications popping up while you're giving a presentation. So uh, you plug it in. You create this little network. It's passworded so people in the audience can't join it. And you, right. put, you put the Mac on it. You put the iPad on it, the iPhone on it, whatever devices you're going to be using. And now you've got your own little virtual private network with the source of the signal sitting right between you and the projector and the Apple TV or the Mac. So everything is very strong. And, um, and that's, that's key. Okay, so that's what you – then what do you do next? That's what, that's what you can – or you can put your MacBook into ad hoc mode so it becomes the router yeah i've not had as much success with that as compared to the airport express so that's that's a slightly more flaky connection to me yeah uh, and to a, me that makes it mode. yeah and to me that makes it completely untenable you you can't you know, you're going to be standing in front of a group of people if there's any possibility that that network connection breaks down uh you're completely screwed Right, you know. right. So, so what I've also done lately, though, um, there've been a couple of times when I've been at uh, at a hotel and giving a, a workshop, uh, not about presentations, but about other things. And I'm using the iPad plus the MacBook, and I'll explain why I'm using the two a little bit later on. But they they both need to be on the same subnet. And what happens sometimes in the hotel? They'll only give you one connection. You can't connect the other one up. Right. Yeah. And if they do give you two, there's no guarantee they're both going to be on the same subnet. And if they're not, they don't talk to each other. They don't see each other. So hotel is, is, can, be, can be really difficult locations to do these things. And, of course, if anybody else jumps onto that Wi-Fi network, boy, does your, you, know, it really, you take a hit. So uh, what I've been doing is bringing along my own 4G Wi-Fi router that my telco 
cells and just bolted it onto my system. And that, that gives me both a, uh, an intranet for myself plus access to the net when I'm doing my iPad demos. Yeah. And you could also do that. I've seen people do it with their iPhone as a Wi-Fi hotspot. Uh, that's true, but if a call comes in, it's going to drop it in many cases. Yeah, and it just makes me nervous. Yeah, it's, it, I, it makes me very nervous. And I've done, I did it once in a workshop about two years ago, and boy, did I get stuck with a huge bill at the end of the day because it yeah. took me right over my, my data allowance for that, for that day. Well, for me, the, the idea of getting the, uh, the Airport Express really was some of the best hundred bucks I've spent because I have now moved on. I'm now giving presentations with the iPad, and people are really digging it. They, you know, that you can walk around the room and you've got it. And I, I grant that I really like the clicker and the idea that – because a lot of the presentations I give move really fast. I put in like little funny pictures and stuff, and my slides jump around very quickly. And having to look down to swipe – as little as that is, becomes distracting. Yes. So you have, you have to be very careful about where you use it. But where I am using it, it seems to be working very well. And I'm very curious about this iPad mini with this because it's so much lighter and smaller. Um, it may make me do that a little better. It may make it easier for me to give a presentation off the iPad. Um, and, right. and we'll see. I mean, but we're, I think we're still in early days on this stuff, but we're definitely headed this direction. And I don't think whether you do it off your iPad or your Mac really changes you know, the, what we're going to talk about later about what, what it takes to make a good presentation. But this technology is changing. People are expecting more. And um, I think you know, in, a, in a podcast in 2012 about presentation, we needed to at least talk about the mobile stuff a little bit. But before we do that, I think we should probably take a quick sponsor break. We've been going for a while now. Well, why don't, how about we talk about our first sponsor for this show, and that is uh, 1Password. Yeah. Why don't we do that? Um, so, you know, David, the clock's changed recently. Did you uh, make a note to update all your passwords? Yeah, and you know what I really love? On Twitter, a bunch of people were tweeting me saying that they're doing the same thing. So, it, you know, it's working. Now, for people who don't know what we're talking about, tell them about your secret little method. Okay, so you've got a group of passwords in your life that are, are key to your life. You know, PayPal, your bank. Uh, your iTunes account, you know, stuff where lots of money could potentially move around if someone had that password. Uh, why not, you know, make a smart group and one password and put those in there? And I have it called the clock group. And so every time the clocks change, and, you know, that happens twice a year, uh, I spend an hour or two going through each one of those and going, logging in and changing my password on those. And that way I know twice a year my most important passwords get changed. It's just a, it's just a little, you know, I guess you call it a mind hack I use on myself. And I just love hearing that other people are doing it now too because then I know all these people are putting really safe passwords into effect and they're rotating them enough that if someone got one of them, they aren't going to be able to have it for a long time. And the beauty of using a system like 1Password is that not only are you using, hopefully, strong, secure, auto-generated, unique passwords, and that's the big keyword, unique passwords for every different site that you log into, but you can set up these groups, whether it be a smart group or whether it be a folder or an individual group that you organize. You can set up these groups to say, okay, well, let me go, let me go, this is the group of all the passwords that I need to change, and you've got listed right in front of you, you know, the, the 5, the 10, the 15, 20, whatever passwords that you need to change. You know, I had somebody come up to me just last week at our user group meeting, and just told me a horror story of how somehow somebody got a hold of their email password. 
And we've talked about how once somebody gets into your email, it can be all over because then they can set account resets and get into other things from email. And of course, this person hadn't taken our advice, hadn't you started using a program like 1Password and had the same password or had the same password variation that they had used across multiple sites and across multiple accounts. And not only had the hackers gotten into their email and were sending some some pretty obscene stuff um, out, but... They had actually gotten into their deceased husband's email and were sending offensive things, which just add all kinds of, of, of uh, trauma to or really insult to injury to be getting all of these these horrible emails from your recently deceased husband because someone you know hacked into uh, you know just got an account password and then compromised their bank and compromised um, credit cards and things like that and um, you know, so much, some, some stuff you can't control. Some things are going to happen, but um, so much of this is, is avoidable. And uh, using, a, using a tool like 1Password really can help. So I, I had someone uh, ask me on Twitter earlier, where's the best place to buy 1Password? Um, I bought it from the Mac App Store because you can use that to get account uh, 1Password on all of your Macs that you use that share the same Mac App Store account. And when version 4.0 comes out, you'll get a free upgrade to version 4, and you can find 1Password on the Mac App Store for $49.99. Um, if you use a PC, though, you're going to want to go onto their website because they do have a PC version. You can get a Mac and Windows bundle for $69.99 or just the PC version individually. Uh, for your iOS devices, they have a Pro license for $14.99 that is hybrid and will work on your iPads, iPhones, iPods, etc. Or any single license for an iOS device is $9.99. And uh, you can save 20% off anything purchased through the 1Password online store by using the link on our website. And we thank 1Password for their continued support. Hey, you know, these guys at 1Password are really smart, and they spend a lot of time thinking about your password security. When you buy the application, you're essentially buying their expertise, and it's much smarter than you or I could ever be about these things. So I strongly recommend checking it out. And one clarification, I don't know that it's clear yet when the new version comes out whether that will be a, a new purchase or an upgrade. So No, they've uh, already said that if you bought 1Password 3 on the Mac App Store, it will be a, a free upgrade to version 4. Oh, that's great news. So yep. even a, a better reason to go in and get it. Okay, well, go check out 1Password. Tell them you heard about it from us. And uh, next time the clocks change, you too can make your passwords more secure. And let me know. I love hearing that. Okay. So, um, so Les, let's get back to, uh, to business here. Let's get off the mobile thing for a little bit. <laughs> can, can I tell you what we're supposed to do when daylight saving starts and ends here? There are warnings given by our fire department that this is when you should change over your batteries in your houses or your apartment's um, fire alarm, smoke alarm. I think we're supposed to do that, that here safe. too. Yeah, yeah. That, so that makes so much more sense. So what I do is I wait till <laughs> one of them starts beeping, and I have no idea which one it is, and I wander around the house for three hours, getting increasingly angry. You With know a that high pitch, a high pitched beep. You have no idea what. Re- I don't even know if it's in the right room or not. It makes me crazy. Boy, that yeah, would make so much more sense. It's meant to. That's what they. That's what the they, their advertisements on TV now change over your change batteries. Yeah. If only I could use the same diligence towards my smoke alarm batteries that I do towards my passwords on my computer. Why don't you put a secure note to, that says, "Dear David, change your smoke alarm batteries" into that folder in One Password? Oh, that's an omnifocus task. That's not even that hard. I just. I know, I just, but you then, know. It, then it would be in there from the same place. Yeah, it's just like 
uh, we all choose our areas of, of obsession. And if mine doesn't involve uh, uh, an Apple product, then I'm, I'm much less likely to be diligent about it. <laughs> anyway, who's, look, who's the guy who developed, who developed the, uh, the thermostat? Maybe we can get him to develop Oh, a, Nest, the Nest a, people. Yeah, Chinese yeah. yeah. Get him to do a smoke alarm. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. So, An Apple um, themed smoke alarm, you know, with the same develop, uh, the same dedication to design. Anyway, uh, listen, listen, listen. What I want to talk about is what your real point is, and this is where you use your other training, where you talk about what do people react to when you create slides, and what kind of presentation really gets through to your audience. No matter what you're using, whether you're using PowerPoint or you're using a whiteboard, whatever. I mean, what is what makes a difference with an audience? And this is where I think you really struck home for me when I watched your presentation. Well, you tell me. What did you see that struck home? And then I'll, 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 I can make some commentary about that. Because I'm always curious to see what – because I'm, I'm taking guesses here. They're very educated guesses, but they're nonetheless guesses because the science hasn't quite caught up with, um, with this in terms of presentations. It has in, in other domains, but not in presentations. Well, well, I can so what, tell you what one of the things that, at you? that struck home for me when I, when I watched your last presentation, and I think I followed it all the way through, is I have vastly cut down on the number of words that I not – num, not number of words per slide, but the number of words I use in total in a presentation. I had to give a lengthy uh, present – well, 45-minute opening presentation at a at a pretty big mediation that we had a couple of weeks ago, and I think – with the exception of the introductory slide that just said the names of everybody that was here, I, I probably had two or three slides that had any words on them at all. And everything else was me talking and explaining and, and bringing up information and exhibits. And it, it was very different from what people were expecting and I think very effective. Yeah, so when you go against expectations, people sort of sit back a little bit and their levels of arousal go up. So if we were to have sort of heart rate meters on these people, you'd probably see them going up from an average of 65 or 70 to 85 with a sense of, hold on, something different's happening. So you're, you're switching on the vigilance systems, uh, or the, which is part of the attentional system. We've survived as a, as a species because of our excellent vigilance systems. Trouble is we tend to get false positives quite often which is what I deal with. I mean, anxiety disorders is false positives. That is, my alarm system is going off and it doesn't need to. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So when you do something out of the ordinary, without necessarily people saying, gosh, that was out of the ordinary, they are aware of this at some level, usually less than conscious, that something not ordinary is happening and maybe something extraordinary is going to happen. And that, that's an attention-grabbing event, whereas if you put on slide four, six words, six lines, slide six, six words, six slides, it might be that the content is very interesting, but as a presentation, it's not. Yeah, I always feel like the reason those slides get generated to begin with is the speaker's own agitation about speaking. I, I think that it's very easy to build that as a crutch. And I've said this before, we did a... a a podcast years ago as episode 34 of the Mac Power Users on Keynote. And, you know, my big point was that you don't write down what you're going to say on the screen and then turn around and read it to the audience. Um, but if you're really, really scared, that's what you want to do. And well, I that's think why PowerPoint you slide, yeah. yeah. I think PowerPoint slides have become the three by five 
cards that people used to use to guide them through their presentations before you know, we had these sort of large graphical displays of information. Do you remember, remember Stu Sigmund at the, uh, the launch of the iPhone? Oh. And he was using those three-by-five cards. Do you remember? The, I think this they is were the way we used to that. do it. Well, that, <laughs> they probably were because of his eyes. But do you remember that? I was actually going to use that in my very first presentation at Macworld in 2008. I was going to walk out behind the stage and say, hi, I'm Les Sigmund. I'm, 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 I'm Stan's young nephew. And then throw up all my cards and go, oh, oh there goes my presentation. And we'll have, we're going to have to use Keynote now. <laughs> so um, it was a funny thing. When you, when you watch going from Steve to watching Stan do that, it was just an amazing juxtaposition. Painful. Yeah. It was painful. You were begging him, please get off the stage. Bring back Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Bring back Steve. Or even, even the, the head of Sony. <laughs> Remember when he did the, the presentation? It was almost indecipherable when, when they were focusing on this is the year of HD and they had the president of Sony coming on. Coming on and and I, I don't know if Steve knew where to look because it was such a, a funny but painful presentation on stage. We couldn't understand what he was saying. And so, the, the interesting point about this is not that we're complaining that the content they had to give was somehow inferior, but just the method of delivery was so disconnected from the audience that we couldn't even follow it. That's right. And so the number one thing that I teach in my presentation skills is to be audience-centric and not self-centric. In other words, the presentation is always about the audience. And the way you construct the presentation is to make it easier for them to um, assimilate the concepts rather than to make it easy for you to do the presentation. In fact, the way I set up my presentations is probably harder than what it is for most people, but easier for the audience. Because it might be that a slide that only the audience will only see for a minute might take me an hour to construct compared to simply taking a Word document, copying and pasting the words and adding a few bullet points and subheaders, and then it's done. Well, that's yeah, something and it, like- yeah, and if you're at home, that was the takeaway moment for the show, is that if you're going to present, you have to work hard. I mean, you have to do all the hard work so when you get up there, the audience doesn't. And yes, and that's another thing I was going to bring up. I was kind of afraid to say it, but since you went there, I'll go ahead and go there too. A, a lot of this can certainly just be laziness on the part of the speaker. You know, I have to give a presentation. I already have some kind of form of written material. Um, you know, doing an outline in many respects is easy. I always outline before I do a presentation. And and your your PowerPoint, and I'm going to use the word PowerPoint, can turn into an outline by virtue of the way it's set up. And okay, well, let me go grab some clip art and, and throw it in. And, and boom, my outline has just become a presentation. And in the meantime, your audience is, is comatose. You know, the 45-minute presentation that I did that had maybe 30 words total in 45 minutes, it took me two solid weeks to prepare. Um, but yet, I, I'm sure I could have done it in an afternoon if all I was going to do is, is write down the bullet points from my outline. Yes, the complaints that I get when I, when I mention this, that this two-minute slide may have taken me an hour to do, the complaints that I get from people who are presenting all the time is, Liz, we don't have the time to spend doing that. And what I say is, look, it may have taken me an hour to do the first time, but I'm going to use this slide and maybe repurpose it, maybe slightly change the, the, the text a little or, or change the, the picture. But its purpose, what I'm trying to do with the slide, doesn't change necessarily from audience to audience. So I'm going to reuse it so that one hour actually only becomes you know a couple of seconds to include it in the next presentation. 
So you're making an investment in yourself when you do it this way. But that hour might be spent um, sourcing the images, thinking about which font will I use, thinking about the transition or the build that I will use to bring that particular slide in, what my words are that I'm going to use to describe what I'm doing, and then rehearsing, 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 rehearsing. And it does get easier. After you build the same type of slide over and over and over and over again, it, it does get easier. Yes, exactly right. And so I know the effect that I'm trying to do here. So I have, as much as Keynote gives me um, certain builds and transitions, I try and go beyond that because I'm still seeing people using the same old builds even in Keynote over and over again. Like the cube is done. I hardly ever use the cube transition anymore because it's been done to death, especially now that it's going into PowerPoint. So I try and come up with my own builds that I can construct on the slide that look a little bit magical, like how did he do that? And I've, even when I presented it at, to the keynote engineering team in Pittsburgh a few years ago, I had some of the lead engineers looking at me saying, how did you do that? Now, that's a great compliment. I like it when that, when that sort of th- stuff happens. Yeah, so, so give us an example. <laughs> so one of my very first slides that I that I have is um, is about expectations, and no matter what the subject is that I'm talking about, whether it be presentations or um, something psychological, I'll say, "Look, I hope. Thank you very much for coming today. Uh, you could be somewhere else. You could be at another conference venue, even. So one thing I'd like you to do when you walk out of here is walk out of here happy, happy that you spent some time here or spent your own money to be here, and." But by the way, do you know that we psychologists have been doing a lot of research on happiness? Do you want to know what the secret to happiness is? Now, this is in the first one minute. And of course, everyone's going to say, yeah, I want to know what the secret to happiness is. And so I show the book. And the book is called The Paradox of Choice. It's been written by a psychologist called Barry Schwartz. And I get the book to shake very, very quickly, like about eight sort of vibrations in about uh, two seconds. And out from the middle of the book, the pages of the book are slightly open. And out from the middle of the book pops a TED talk of Barry Schwartz saying, the secret to happiness is, and then we get a laugh from that usually. Now, that particular vibration of the book, which is like about 10 different little vibrations, um, the keynote team looked at that and they're all smiling because the guy sitting about six feet away from me was staring intently, and I said, why is he looking so intently? He said, well, he's the lead engineer for animation. He's trying to work out what you just did. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, just using using the motion, but using it very quickly in ways that hadn't been done before. Yeah. So you're you're moving the object very quickly and in succession automatically. So it's as if you're you're shaking and rattling something, and out as a result comes, comes... tumbling a video and then the video starts to play that that whole sequence gets a laugh yeah because my very first slide after my my name's after the introductory slide of, of who i am and what we're here for that's the very first slide and people realize at that time hold on this is not dad's powerpoint this is something different right in that first one minute and then from there it's up to me to keep that going throughout the entire session yeah high energy Lot. Now, do you use a lot of slides when you talk, or are you? Uh, are you? I guess do you use a, a few number? Not that you'd know. I use um, a lot of slides, and uh, but the audience would not know that I'm using a lot of slides because a lot of the, there might be four slides in a row that look like one slide. Yeah. So using a, like a subtle builds as animations in essence as you work through the four slides. Yeah. Let's just imagine that I want to show. Um, 
there are some situations in science conference, for instance, where you need to show text because it's a quote that I'm giving from a, uh, a journal article, for instance. And in law, by the same way. You want to show the actual definition or, or terminology. And so I actually show the whole page. I'll grab a hold of the whole page, perhaps as a PDF, and drag it onto the slide. But maybe there's only a paragraph that I want to show. And so what I'll do is I'll create two slides, duplicate the first one, and then I'll dull, gray out, and unsharpen or, or let lose focus on the second one, but except for the screenshot I've taken of the paragraph that I want. It then leaps off the screen. It's got shadowing. It's 3D. It literally leaps off the screen. And even though there are all these words around it, but they're out of focus and they're dull, and so all the audience's attention goes on that paragraph. And so the only time I ever read a slide, if it's, if it's a direct quote, and I never read it from the slide projecting behind me, I always read it from my iPad in front of me, looking at the audience now my because my iPad is acting as a vanity monitor yeah and have you ever have you ever watched slide. any of the presentations uh, Lawrence Lessig gives yes it's it's remarkable the number of slides this guy uses and um I saw him speak last year and I wanted to talk to him afterwards I don't know if he's got someone else triggering those for him but he has sometimes one slide per word as he goes through a presentation but he does it so effectively. And again, like you, it's very subtle. Um, he builds an idea or a concept where he's not throwing the, you know, an entirely new image at the audience with every second. But at the same time, he's reinforcing his words so effectively. That's right. So he's really thinking, how am I going to get this complex set of ideas across to my audience who may be somewhat knowledgeable about my subject, but I need to take them in a different direction. And so you need to scaffold or build your presentation rather than knock people over the head because they're just going to sit there dumbfounded and say, I don't get this at all. You've really got to slowly and, and, and gently build them. And then there's a whammo and they go, oh, gosh, really? Is that how it connects up? Wow, I get it now. Yeah. That's yeah. One of it, it's really hard to get these ideas across um, with a podcast, you know, because uh, it, it's just such a different paradigm. But it seems to me that if you were going to boil it down, it's really you have to build the presentation for the audience, not yourself. And that is the fundamental thing, at least for me, looking at my own experience with these things. When I first started doing these, I made all of the mistakes everybody makes. And I think a lot of ways I was building presentations uh, to give myself a crutch, whereas at some point the switch flipped in my head and I started building presentations to enhance what I was saying and to help the audience along with me. And it's not as simple as just saying get rid of words and add pictures. Um, I think it's really just an idea of looking at every idea or concept you have and and trying to say, how am I going to reinforce that in a different way that will help get to more people? And I just don't think there's really an easy way to do that without putting the hard work in, like Katie spent two weeks on a 45-minute presentation. I mean, what do you say to these people who walk up to you and say, Les, these are great ideas, I don't have time to do this? What do you say to them? Well, I say let's let's have a look at what you're already doing, and if you deliver to me a presentation that you've done, I'll show you some, you know, maybe one, two, or three things that you can do to really make this presentation go up to one more level. You don't have to put all the effort into what I'm doing, but there are things you can do. And one of the first things is is drop the six by six business, you know, the six words and six six lines, which someone probably at 3M or IBM made up because it sounded like a good idea at the time. 
Um, but there's just no research that backs it up whatsoever that that's an effective way of teaching. Uh, if you have to use words, one of the things I'll teach people to do is, is just gently bring in one line at a time or maps one word of that line at a time and use your own voice and your own, your own intonation to explain what's going on and maybe perhaps make a case study that will demonstrate how this concept could be used. Uh, case studies are very, very useful. And I, and I come from a background where we use case studies, as you would in law. And um, that gives some life to the ideas rather than them being just a, a group of assembled words. So using a case study, you know, show, show a person, describe who they are and what they're doing and how they might use some of the concepts that you're talking about. And I guess, David, the other response that I would give to that is, how can you afford, if you're a professional person, if you're going to spend the time to come and give a presentation or to do a presentation, to do it badly? Why, why would you even bother to do it in the first place? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it just makes such a difference. When I give a presentation, not to toot my own horn, I always get a lot of compliments afterwards, and it always really helps me, whether it's a case in front of a jury or a talk about technology or anything. And I think it just, what kind of image of yourself do you want to put forward? I mean, do you want to be the guy that mails it in, or do you want to be the guy that that goes above and beyond? And I think some of this is people just don't realize what they need to be doing. That's why we like to do these shows and talk about this stuff, and that's why Les publishes a website, and that's why Gar Reynolds writes great books. You know, we all want to kind of share the news about this stuff, but then... There's a second half, and the people who hear this message need to take the time to figure it out and make something great. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had cases that I'm convinced have settled at mediation because of the time and effort that I've put on the front end in a presentation because people have seen, whoa, if there's this much time and effort put into something that I spent 20 minutes on this morning, imagine what's going to happen if we take this case to trial. Well, that's, that's impressive. One of the things that, that's clueful to me is when people say, I don't have the time to do that, is that people have begun to use PowerPoint uh, as, as a knowledge transfer tool. They're not using it any longer as a presentation tool. It's now become the equivalent of, here's my Word document. Now, you're expected to put it onto a set of slides and put it up on the, on the internet somewhere in the organization, and people are supposed to learn from the slide itself. You, as the presenter, are secondary to that. So it's kind of the reverse of what you and I, uh, what, we're both, what we're all talking about here, where I put the presenter you know, right up front on the slides are the supporting act. But in so many businesses that I see, it's the other way around. The presenter, well... The military is the, is the ideal. Somebody else has created the slides, and now you, Corporal, you're going to deliver these slides. They have no investment whatsoever in the slides. So of course, it comes across as passionless. Well, I want to talk some more about the actual tools that you use for giving these presentations, but we probably need to take another quick break and talk about our second sponsor, and that is Drobo. Um, so I, I put a post up on my blog because I've had a bunch of people asking recently about how I'm using my Drobo. And one of the ways that I'm using my Drobo, because as you know, David, I'm, I'm quite, a, uh, quite overprotective with my data, and I'm using it all the time for, for backup purposes, is I'm not only backing up my data to the Drobo, but I'm making sure that all of my family members are appropriately backed up. And sometimes that means backing up their data to the Drobo as well. I know you're probably the uh, the keeper of all the backups in your house too. 
Yeah, and like you, not just my in my house. It's uh, you know my sisters and some of my wife's siblings. Uh, I've got their pictures, and the Drobo is a great place to do it because it's got a ton of storage, and you can just throw a bunch of stuff on there, and it's already redundant. Yeah, there's there's something about having a big pot of storage that you can just throw everything at it and and know that it's in there safe and secure. And in the event that you do have a drive failure, because we all know that drives are these. For now, for the most part, these spinning mechanisms that will eventually fail, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, that the Drobo is going to be able to survive that that hard drive failure. I remember that hard-stopping moment when my Drobo emailed me and said, hey, you've had a, a hard drive failure in your Drobo. Um, it was kind of cool for a minute. I was at work, and I got an, a critical alert from my Drobo, you've had a hard drive fail. And by the time I got home uh, from work that afternoon, the Drobo had already sorted it out. Hey, no problem. I've taken care of it. All of your data is safe and secure. Replace this drive when you get a chance. Yeah, and the big advantage of Drobo really is that you don't need to be a computer technologist to figure this out. You plug the thing in, and you plug it into your Mac, and you can just start filling it with drives. You don't have to have match drives. They don't have to be from the same manufacturer. They don't have to be the same size. And so if you're getting started on this, uh, you've probably got an old drive around the house. So you can just start putting those in. And then you can start filling up as you need. Like I, I had five bays in my Drobo of the Drobo FS, and I only had four of them filled for the longest time. And then one day I saw a good deal, and I went and bought myself a, another hard drive and added it to it, and it just seamlessly incorporated it into the system. So it's a very forgiving way to get into this type of storage for people who haven't tried it before. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and so what I've been doing with my Drobo, in addition to archiving it for all of my personal storage, is every now and again when one of my family members' computers is in the shop, and I'm using air quotes, which I know you can't see because it's an audio podcast, but that basically means when it's at my house for whatever reason, it's getting a memory upgrade or a hard drive upgrade or it's getting its operating system reinstalled or something's going in. I'll take an opportunity to go ahead and do a clone disk image or um, somehow do a backup of all that computer's data to my Drobo because I'm not entirely sure that those family members are doing all their backups that they're supposed to be doing. I've I've configured some crash plan backups and things like that, and even some of those are coming into my Drobo over the network as well. But when I when I need a, a, a ground zero or a starting point for, for backup and recovery, I know that I've got those images on my Drobo, and, and at least I've got something that I can go for. Yeah. Drobo's a great product. The company really cares about this stuff. They make some really unique um, storage devices. Now they're shipping the 5D and the Mini, which the 5D has got the Thunderbolt connector, as, as does the Mini. Uh, the Mini is really aimed, I think, at the SSD, you know, mobile storage type Drobo, whereas the 5D is the more traditional one you'll have next to your computer at home. But with that Thunderbolt connector, it's going to be really fast. So, I'm really tempted to get myself one of those, to be honest. But you should go check it out at drobo.com. If you've got data that's important to you and you've got lots of it, I can't think of a better way to have a reliable backup right next to your computer. Yep, and if the 5D and the Mini aren't aren't the kind that you're interested in, they have Drobos all across the spectrum at all different price points, uh, whether you're just starting out for an individual, for a home, for a home office, or all the way up for the corporate environment. So you can go to Drobo.com and check out all of your options, and we appreciate Drobo's continued support of the show. Um, so, Les, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the gear that you take when you um, are, are going to give a presentation. What's in your bag? Good question. Um, it's really important to consider what to take because 
depending on the on the uh, on the venue, you're probably going to have to work with the AV people at some point, and you really need to make friends with them. And so the way you treat them and the means by which you prepare for your presentation conveys to them your professionalism. And I've seen at professional conferences where they've really assisted me with all my needs, and yet other pre- presenters, professor this and doctor this and whatever it might be, have really treated them ill, and then they're surprised when their presentation might just not quite work, or they're a bit slow to be helped out when the presentation falls over. Wow. <laughs> so I come very prepared. My own power boards, my own extension leads... Uh, I let the guys do their job and then I get out of the way and then I say, well, what about this? And we work it out together. So what you, what I bring is really very important. So like I said, extension leads, my Wi-Fi route or my airport express. Uh, of course, you can't afford to leave behind when you go to a major venue, uh, several um, uh, display connectors. You know, I, I take with me uh, uh, a display uh, connected to uh, HDMI plus two VGA, just in case one of them falls over or breaks or I leave one behind, which I've done in the past. Uh, I take my Kensington remote, which is my preferred little hand clicker. Is there the a specific I, model if people wanted to look it up? Yeah, the one I use, there's only there's two, and the one I use is the one that ha- comes with a, with a little wireless USB connector. So you, you have to give away one of your, wife, one, one of your USB ports. Um, but it also doubles up as a two G uh, two gig um, drive USB thumb drive, okay. uh, so you can actually store a backup of your presentations on there as well. Yeah, Les, is that the one with the green laser? Yeah, I never use lasers. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's an interesting point. Why not? Never, and I always tell. I always make a joke because at some point when I'm teaching presentation skills, not just keynote, but uh, uh, generically, I'll often you know touch and say, "By the way, never use your laser pointer watch." And I say, "You know, this is this could be de- you know determined as a sort of early advanced forms of Parkinson's, but just be very careful because yeah. no one holds steady." But the real reason is it looks as if you haven't prepared. It looks as if you're doing things ad hoc, and yeah. I would. Ways in my presentations, if I want to highlight something, I will highlight it in the presentation because that's what I w- where I want your eye to look. It, I don't want it to appear as if, oh, oh what, what did you mean? Oh, that part. Oh, yes. So I've developed tools so that if someone says, well, what about that part of the, of the spreadsheet? You need to learn how to use the, um, the Mac's um, special abilities to focus in on something. You know that section in the, in the system preferences? where um, it's for people with uh, disabilities. What's it called? Let me have a look and see. Is it uh, assisted devices or? um... Accessibility. Accessibility, right. Yeah. And if you go into accessibility, you'll see display, zoom, voiceover, audio. And if you go to zoom, you'll be able to see that you can zoom in on various areas. So if you really have to look in closely at some part, learn to use the various toggles, option control eight and so forth and so on, and zoom in on that area. That's what I would do rather than use. I mean, laser points easy, but no one ever holds it steady enough. And it gets really very, very distracting over time. This way, at least you you look as if you're prepared. And, um, and I really want your eyes to go to this part of my presentation. You've, you've done the work. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. If you can, predict that like if you're 
solely in control of a presentation. Sometimes, for instance, if I have an expert witness examination, I have a presentation built around the examination, but they may want to talk about something that I don't know exactly what portion of a photograph is going to become the focus. And in that case, I need a laser. But I agree with you. It's Actually, when I use the laser, I try to hold it with two hands to just try and keep it as steady as possible. It, uh, now, the other thing that I use which is installed permanently in my, in my uh, menu bar, is something called Zoom It. Z-O-O-M-I-T, Zoom It, which gives you different shapes and sizes of loops, L-O-U-P-E. That's what the yeah. you know, expression loop around. Yeah. And you can actually use this, and it, it, it simply uses Control-Z, and that will automatically bring up a focus, and you can move it around as if it's a, um, a magnifying glass. So all, the difficulty with it is you have to be at the Mac to be able to do that. The yeah. alternative that I use sometimes is I'll actually walk right up to the projection screen if I can get to it and just stand there and point at various things if I can do that. Some people use a pointer, a stick. Uh, I, to be, I prefer to do that than using a, a laser pointer. But laser pointer has become default. I don't, think, I don't think it's the way to go if you can possibly help it. Yeah, I agree. Well, there's, there's one other thing on the Kensington that I like very much, as well as doing forward and back. But there's a, there's a fourth button which sends your screen to black. And sometimes if I'm asked a question and that's taking us away from the slide that's, be, that's behind me, I'll send it to black so that it's just the audience and me having a discussion. And the slide is not there taking up visual space, if I can put it that way. That tells the audience I'm really interested in what you're talking about. So I go to black, and then we'll talk, and then I hit the button again, and it comes up, up to the previous screen, and we continue with that presentation. You know how many people I work with who don't know that if you, if you, had the, if you hit the B key on your keyboard in PowerPoint or in Keynote, the screen goes to black, or if you hit the W key, it goes to white. Most people don't know this. Wow. Yeah. Now, there, the Kensington, a, a whole, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Kate. I was going to ask, ahead. the Kensington remote, does that require that you install software, or does it just work default out of the box with the Mac? Mac PC just plugs in, and it becomes basically a second mouse. So uh, you can do that. Now, I need to tell you one other piece of software that I use, which is $50, and is really making big inroads into in education, but I use it all the time in presentations, and it caught the the developers of the software by surprise when they saw me using it for presentations. Can, we, can I spend two minutes on this? Absolutely. Okay. So this is a software which is both an app for the iPad, not for the iPhone, just for the, app, just for the iPad, and for your Mac or PC. And it's called Doceri, D-O-C-E-R-I, which I think in Latin means to learn or to convey or something like this. So this is a company in South San Francisco, who developed this software. I first saw the Mac, Mac World about three years ago and in beta, and then I purchased the software. But here's, here's the deal. You can, one of, the, one of the dilemmas I've always had with Keynote, and those people who use PowerPoint on a tablet always laughed at me, and that is how do you annotate the slide on the fly? How can you draw a circle around it? This is what we were talking about before, about using the, the laser pointer, Yeah. But how can I do this on my slide as well? Am I making sense? Yeah. Sure. How, how can I draw a red line or an arrow or even write a word that highlights something on the slide? Well, that's what Deseri allows you to do. It's one of the things that allows you to do. So if your iPad with Deseri app 
and your Mac or PC are on the same wireless network, the Deseri app will demonstrate, it will link, and you'll get an exact copy of your Mac desktop on Doseri, on your iPad, in which case you can then annotate, standing away from your Mac, annotate what's going on. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's actually a really good idea. You just so have you'll to- use the okay. iPad at your yep. table or wherever you're at talking. You've got your Mac across the room using your, your Kensington to remote to advance slides, and Doseri is mirroring your Mac desktop on your iPad. And then, right. you, and then you can take your finger or a stylus and start writing on that, and it appears on the screen of the Mac. Exactly. Yes, exactly right. And then it appears, of course, on the screen. So yeah. what often happens is that one of the worst mistakes you can do in, in, in presentation is turn your back to the audience, look at the, at the projection screen that they're looking at, and read the slide. Because then you, you disengage from the audience, and you give them permission to turn their attention away from you, which you don't want to do. You want to stay in charge. And, and again, the slide is the adjunct. It's the accessory. It's the, the B actor to you. It's the support actor. So what, what my primary pers- purpose of the series was, was that I could stop schlepping my 17-inch monitor to presentations with me because that 17-inch monitor acted as my display monitor, as my, as my um, what's the word we can use for it? A vanity monitor. Yeah. Where you see in front of you, we see this at Macworld at all the Steve Jobs and, and, and now Tim Cook keynotes. They look down every so often because what they're doing is they're seeing the next slide to come and the current slide. And they don't have to turn their back to the, to the audience to watch what's going on behind them. Well, that's what, that's what I used to do with the 17-inch monitor plus a splitter screen, a splitter cable so I could take two feeds. Now, the iPad with the Siri does all that for me, which is just terrific. That means I can keep on facing the audience. And what I've done is I've put the, the iPad onto a microphone stand, which I take with me. And there's a special clip that handles the, the uh, iPad called the iClip. It comes from Italy, I-K-L-I-P. And it's built to handle uh, iPad 1, 2, 3, and I assume 4. And it sits on my microphone stand right in front of me. And that way I can keep looking at the audience and know what's happening behind me because my iPad is actually as my display monitor. Plus, I can annotate my graphs and charts, whatever it might be, as well as advance the slides. The other thing it does is it actually records all your, your slides. So you can play it back if you want to. All the annotations, you can play it back in real time if you want to. Yeah, and, and that's one thing if you're listening to this and you haven't used presenter mode on the iPad – you need to you need to try that because it's so useful. Even if you just want to go the old way and have a Mac sitting in front of you with the screen, it'll show you how you're doing on your time. It'll show you the next slide. It's very it's customizable, so you can set it up whatever you need. And I ca- I couldn't give a presentation without something like that. I find when I go to my workshops and my presentations and I'm teaching, I'd say ninety five percent of people don't know even in PowerPoint that presentation mode exists. Because when you go to a conference, you're, you're given the projection behind you, plus you've got a monitor that sits near the lectern. And so what ends up happening is that people look down at that monitor to see what the slide is. But it's not the next slide. The whole yeah. setup of conferences is the same slide. So, of course, they're going to read that slide. So I, say, I always make a deal with the conference organizers. I can only present away from a lectern. You've got to give me a table for my Mac, and I'll bring my iPad, which will be my display monitor for myself, and level me up, 
and I'll, I'll control the slides myself. You guys control the audio volume if you want to. And then I can roam the stage, I can roam the audience, and I can be myself. The lectern gives you authority for that one minute that you start with. The rest of the time, you're hidden behind that in darkness, and the slide takes over. Yeah, and that's why it's interesting to me to see how things continue to develop on the presentation from an iPad. Because uh, it does give you the ability to have the next slide on your iPad in front of you. And it does give you the freedom to roam the room. And it, there are some things about that I really like. But uh, the, the, key, the remote is a big deal for me because I move slides so quickly. And once again, I don't want it to become about watching that guy who keeps looking down at his iPad. Um, but it just seems to me like it's it's come a lot closer to something useful for me than it than it was ever before. I think this year I'm giving a presentation at MacWorld in January. I'm very um, tempted to give the whole thing off the iPad, even though a bunch of it's going to be Mac-based screencasts. So we'll see. All right. Well, I want to get into some of these other gems that you're you're using and other tools that you're using for your presentation. But before we do, I want to take a minute and talk about our last sponsor, and that is Fujitsu and their ScanSnap lines of soft uh, scanners. Uh, the ScanSnaps. Uh, I've got the S fifteen hundred M here on my desk. I use the thirteen hundred at my office, and I've got the 1100 in my travel bag for work. So they've really got a broad range of scanners that you can do just about anything with. There's a scanner for everybody, and everybody wants to go paperless. Everybody wants to have a way to manage all of this stuff that they've got in their life. Um, and and I've had so many people say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that. I've got a whole filing cabinet that I that I want to, you know, go through, but um, it's okay. I've, I've got a scanner that came with my printer. I've got one of those multifunction things. And I, I'm just going to do it with that. And then I'll, I'll see him a month or two later and I'll, I'll ask him, I said, so, so how have you gotten on that, that scanning project? Is that working with your printer? And they'll either tell me that they haven't started or they started and they got maybe 20 or 30 pages in and it's just not working. Yeah. That, you know, trying to get serious about paperless with a multifunction scanner, you know, it was like trying to build an airplane with duct tape and, cardboard. I mean, I guess maybe it's possible, but it's a lot of work. And, uh, you know, a real document scanner is what you need to make something like that happen. And Fujitsu just does such a good job of it for the Mac. I, I really love this product, the Fujitsu scanner. I've, I bought my first one probably four years ago. And, you know, Fujitsu has just, they've supported the Mac the whole time through. They have really excellent software. You know, we were talking earlier about people mailing it in. Well, Fujitsu doesn't mail it in with respect to the Mac support. They have excellent software. It's got all the OCR stuff built in. They're constantly updating it and trying to make it better. And their their scanners are just top-notch. You know, they're, they're, they scan both sides of the page if you get the, the 1500 or the 1300. So when you run a piece of paper through it, you get both sides in one pass. It does all that stuff you need to to make it look good and get it into your system. And frankly, I find it very useful in conjunction with my presentation work because when I want to bring in a document and put it up there, I just do a high-pass scan with my Fujitsu scan snap and I'm, I'm good to go. In fact, Les, you were saying earlier before the show you use a Fujitsu scan snap in relation to your presentation work as well. Yes, I have two. I have my original uh, 300M, which was the small 10 10-page one that's portable as well as powered up, uh, which I've had for like four or five years. And, 
is great. And I also have the little portable that Katie was talking about, the 1100M, which uh, 1100, the, the little one-page one that plugs yeah. in via USB only. So I use that as well because there are some things, some pictures from newspapers or whatever else that I, I want to get in there and I want to show that it's the original article and so forth. Um, I actually do have a flatbed scanner, but I only use that because I might need to take a book or a magazine. I don't want to cut it up. But the rest of the time, if a patient walks in, for instance, with a six-page referral and, and documentation, boom, as soon as they walk in, it goes into my, uh, into my snap scan, onto the Mac, and by the way, into Evernote. And then from Evernote, into the cloud. So yeah, yeah there's a bit of a workflow there. Well, that's good. Ooh, because we're definitely going to talk about how you use Evernote then. Yeah, so then you've got it everywhere. But I mean, like I, I've been in hotel rooms, you know, when you're in trial work, a lot of times... You know, as much as you try to avoid this happening, there's always some document that shows up late in a trial that nobody's seen before, or suddenly it becomes much more important than it was. And uh, so many times, the scan snap has saved my bacon in a late night hotel where I'm, you know, scanning in at 600 DPI, a nice image, and then it's up on the screen the next day in my presentation, and I'm able to work with it. And uh, they just do a really good job. If you're if you're driving a Mac. I would strongly recommend starting with Fujitsu if you're looking at getting yourself a document scanner. And they do have a scanner for every need, whether you're looking for the big one you can stick on your desk at home or the one you can stick in your briefcase. Um, go check it out and uh, let them know you heard about it from us. Yep, and the link you should use for that is ez.com slash SSMPU. That stands for ScanSnapMPU. Uh, and there's a link on our website as well. So, Les, I know I said we were going to talk about Mac gems, but now that I know you use Evernote, which is one of my favorite tools of all time, i got to ask you, how are you using Evernote? Well, it's right across the board in terms of my practice, my presentations, my workshops. It's, it's become that storage area where I can create notebooks. So if I'm going along and, and, I've, and I've got a, I know I've got a presentation come up, I haven't started to yet – outline it, but I just know I'm in the mood to pull together some information and what's going to be interesting. Oh, that's an interesting story. I'll grab that and put it in there. Oh, that's a great image. I'll, I'll put that in there as well. So it becomes my storage area where I haven't quite yet formulated how I'm going to use it. All I know is this will be great when I use it. <laughs> and I think as you do more presentations the way I do, um, you kind of know that's a great image or that's a great story that I'm going to use. I'm not too sure yet how. So you need that sort of central depository. But you also need a way to extract it, to remind yourself that it's there. So the beauty of Evernote and, and with the scanner as well is that as soon as it goes in there, you tag it. You give it keywords that become searchable down the track. So um, it's, a, it's a one place you can go to. And, of course, with the, with the links to your iPad and your iPhone, uh, you've always got access to it no matter where you are. So do you have notebooks that's just like a blanket notebook for presentation ideas or do you, do yeah. you subdivide or, them even further? Or? No, I'll subdivide them into this particular presentation. So here's my, uh, you know, my all-day presentation to neuropsychologists that I'm doing next, next week in, in, in Tasmania. So that will grab uh, all the areas I'm interested in and all the, all the materials I've been working with. And then I can start to formulate how am I going to put it into Keynote in a way that makes sense. Wow. I love Evernote. It's just got so many uses. Yeah, it's, it's coming for a little bit of criticism the last little while because the, it's just gone to beta 5 for the Mac, and not everyone's happy with the iPad and iPhone 
updates as well. The look and feel has changed a little bit. So it's, it's getting a little bit of mixed reviews, but I have utmost faith that the guys at Evernote and the guys and girls at Evernote know what they're doing, and we'll get it. We'll, we've got a top product here. Hey, you know, it's funny because Evernote really, I wasn't a fan of it for the longest time, and now I find myself increasingly using it, uh, like you said, for an everything bucket. And uh, there are, you know, I, I always wanted to have like one place for everything, and Evernote ha- isn't that for me. I do use, I put text in different places, and, and I use nested folders, and I do some other things still. But like you said, for future ideas and just collecting research, it's so useful, and they've got that web clipper in Safari that it's so smart it even figures out what notebook stuff belongs in based on what's in it. Have it's you not just that? that. Yeah, yeah. But if you go to those, those new news aggregators like Zite, do you use Zite? Z-I-T-E? Z-I-T-E? Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, I'm, I've played with it. It's not part of my regular thing. Okay, so but it is for me. So that's one of the ways that I get new information that I can then sort through. But if you click on that, there is a section there that says, how do you want to save this? And Evernote is included as one of the methods for saving. So you just have to click a button on that. And if you haven't used it for a week, you have to put in your name and password again. And boom, it goes straight into Evernote via the cloud. It's just brilliant. Yeah, but that's not, you know, that Zite's not the only one that does that. Even like I use Reader oh. with two E's. Yes, Reader will know. do that too. Yes. Yeah, I use so Reader too. Yeah. Whatever your aggregator of choices, uh, Evernote's made it so easy to plug into their system that just about anything can get sent there. Instapaper is another good example. For me, Instapaper is really the first line of defense. And from there, I'll read the article. And if it's something I want to keep for future reference, I'll send it from Instapaper over to, um, to Evernote. So, yeah, it, it's definitely growing on me. Yeah, one of the things that I do when I show, I do workshops for psychologists on how to include IT in their practice. And naturally enough, I use Keynote to do that. So people who come to those workshops get a twofer. They get a lesson in IT for psychologists and they get a lesson in presentation skills for psychologists, which is very nice for them. So, but one of the things I show is here's a medical referral. I put it into the Fujitsu scanner and with one button, I just sit back, watch it go through, and within a moment, it's in the cloud backed up already. And people go, oh, gosh, wow. I said, that's the, that's the sign of a great technology. Simple, one button that it's already in the cloud and done about half a dozen different operations at the same time. Yeah, and there's OCR on it because Evernote does and that. Yeah, yes, exactly right. Well, what, so, what else do you use yeah. when you show up to present? I mean, what are the other little tricks you've got? I'm sure you've got some menu bar apps and some other things that help you get by. Well, we we mentioned Zoom. At the one of my most often used apps, and I actually had these guys come to one of my MacWorld uh, workshops and do a demo of their software. Uh, is something called Voila, V O I L A, as in the Voila French word, from an Indian group called Global Delight. Really nice guys, and it started off, I suppose, as basically a screenshot app, being able to to take screenshots. Remember Snaps Pro? that we used to use to do this? Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. So I stopped using because I, I never could f- properly figure out its interface. And then voila, came along. It's not expensive. And it can do screenshots and it can do screen movies. And then it can take that screenshot and do a whole variety of special effects on it. So I can do a little sawtooth outline. So it makes it look as if it's been cut from a newspaper. It can give a perspective and skewer it horizontally and, and, and vertically, the sort of thing you'd have to do in, in Photoshop. Um, you can 
create little smart folders. So if you're working on a single project, all the screenshots can be metaphorically stored in that smart folder, which is great. So they're all stored in the one place. The other thing is, remember how if you use screenshot, uh, sorry, command, shift command four, if you just want to put a marquee around something, and then that yeah. simply deposits the, the screenshot onto your desktop, yeah? Yes. And it simply names it screenshot date time. The trouble is, once you let go of the mouse, the screenshot's done. And you may have to take several of them because you discover it wasn't quite perfect. Well, what happens with voila is with, with uh, Shift-Command-4, it does the marquee, but then it leaves it there. And you can gently move the marquee to exactly where you want it to be, then press the camera button, and it takes the picture rather than just, I think I got, I got uh, fairly close to it. This allows much more precision to it. Yeah, I'm looking so, at this um, as we uh, as we talk. It's yeah, it's down to ten dollars so, in the Mac App Store. It's a sixty-seven yeah, percent off. Of, it's a great it's, use of ten dollars. Several five-star apps. I, I I think I'm just going to have to buy it and check it out. So I there, there, there's several of these apps like this though to manage screenshots and help take better screenshots. But the, so this is the one you like though. Yeah, because you've got to have a look at what else it can do. And it can, it, it can do other sorts of effects and the smart builds. And you can rename the screenshot and tag it and do all sorts of things with it. And, and these guys keep, keep using it. You can do a countdown if, if you're using menu items. The, menu, the thing keeps changing all the time. You know, if you want to take a picture of, of, a, of a site that's got flash and it keeps changing, you can actually do a timer on it. Uh, as well. So it's very, very, very useful. Um, and I do a lot of screenshots because I'm doing a lot of overlays to try and trick the eye. So I've got layers of the same picture. The audience only sees one, and that's how things can come out as if they're coming out between the pages of something. But I have to use a screenshot to do that. Yeah. Well, you know, if it's good enough or less, I'm in. I just spent my 10 bucks. To see how, how, how easy it is to use, and you'll come up, I'm sure, with many new ways to uh, to use it. All right, can't wait. Yeah, you know, the, one last point you made, though, you, you touched on this briefly, but I really think this is important. If you're going to be giving presentations, whether you're using your iPad or your Mac or whatever, uh, you do need to bring your humility to the room and and getting there early, talking to the people, checking out the layout of the room. All of those things can only make the presentation better. And I think it's something that people often overlook. When you spend so much time, you know, let's say you're like Katie, you just spent two weeks making the presentation. Why wouldn't you get there two or three hours early and make sure everything works and run it through while the room is empty and, and do everything you can to remove any possibility of something going wrong? Because uh, to do this right, it is an enormous investment of time. And you should you know, don't drop the ball at the one yard line is what I'm saying. You know, get there and talk to the people who do the presentation stuff. If it's a room where you don't have a lot of AV help, uh, figure it out yourself. But just make sure you're ready to go when the audience shows up and everything's plugged in. And uh, that's one piece of this that I think I cannot underestimate because so often a good presentation has been ruined because someone showed up and didn't have the right adapter, which is just a shame. And the last thing you want to hear a, present, a presenter do, especially one in authority that you've really paid a lot of good money to come and see, is, oh, are the AV people around? I can't, I can't seem to work out what's going on here. I mean, talk about giving away your authority. Uh, it, it's not a pretty sight. So, for instance, on Saturday morning this past weekend, I gave a 45-minute presentation at the start of a full day's workshop for, um, for 100 psychologists. I went in the day before 
because I, I wasn't that far from the air. I went into the day before, had a look around, scoped out how I was going to walk around the room, and that allowed me to make some final little subtle shifts to my presentation to include things that maybe I would have included and to leave out things I would have perhaps may have compromised my presentation. I checked out the sound system, checked out the volume. For instance, my very first slide before I, before I start always has a sound file on it so that we can check out sound volumes because I have a lot of movies and sound in my, in my presentations. And the last thing I want to do is it to be either too low or too high. So I always check it out beforehand with a, with a sound file on my very first slide. Yeah, I mean, it just makes sense. I mean, when I have a trial, I do the same thing. I usually go in the week before. I call the court clerk and say, you know, is there a lunch hour I can come in? And then, you know, bring donuts for the staff or whatever. But just make sure that everything's going to work. And and please, 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 if you're going to spend the time to make a quality presentation, don't drop the ball there. So anyway, I, I think I've been on that soapbox long enough. But it's always nice to hear from somebody else who does this uh, professionally as well. <laughs> So, Les, where can, where can people find more out about you? Where can they find links to your work and if they want to attend one of your workshops? Uh, sure. So, there is my uh, main uh, blog website where I, um, I've, I've got about four blog articles that I'm about to put up there, but I keep getting disturbed by other things that I'm doing. But the main website is presentationmagic.com. I was just going to say, this is a really good website to add to your RSS feed because Les doesn't post so much that it becomes overwhelming. The stuff he does put up is always really good. So uh, it's one of my, one of my must reads. Yeah. Thank you. Um, there are some uh, YouTube videos that I've done which show you some special effects that I've created. And also there's one that I put up um, in September last year following a presentation I did in Seattle where I was invited over to do a presentation on one of my areas of work, that's Fear of Flying, to uh, a passenger experience conference. And I, uh, what <laughs> the people who were on before me were the, the head of Airbus and Boeing Marketing and you can imagine the sort of PowerPoints that they delivered. And I came along and did my thing. I actually, this is interesting. I actually recorded what I did using my iPhone 4, not a 4S, just the iPhone 4, sitting on a bench, a table, watching uh, me do the presentation. And I took the video off that and the audio off that. And then I used another piece of software, which I really must mention, called ScreenFlow. We love ScreenFlow. To merge. Yeah. So it's just, just been updated to ScreenFlow 4. The new update's just out now. Uh, yeah. Major improvements. What I did is I exported my slides as a QuickTime movie, imported it into ScreenFlow, exported the video of me doing the presentation from my iPhone, and then took me about an hour and a half, tinkered around, so I kept changing between the slide the audience was seeing and me doing the presentation. So you can watch me do my thing uh, on YouTube and simply put my name in and put in Apex, A-P-E-X, and you'll see me doing my presentation, and you'll see some of the effects that I like to use and the way I like to think about doing presentations. It's really quite different than what you'd expect in the airline industry. Smart. Smart. Yeah, ScreenFlow is a great application, and once again, it's one of those that seems to be the go-to application for a lot of people who are making great content. It allows you to record your screen. In fact, combining ScreenFlow with Reflections, which we talked about earlier in the show, you can screencast your iPad as well. 
That's right. I think you're going to see ScreenFlow used a lot more in uh, user-generated uh, teaching facilities, not just for doing screenshots, but for actually generating content uh, as in Coursera and those sort of applications where people can, can enroll for training. I think you're going to see a lot of use of, of Keynote and ScreenFlow together. That's my next big ma- major blog article about how to use this to do online training. Yeah. Some of the presentations I give in screencasts, um, this is a use of Keynote I have, in addition to standing in front of people and doing my thing, is uh, I will create a presentation in Keynote and just capture it in ScreenFlow and then and then edit that in with actual screencasts. And it just gives me a way to very cleanly show points and whatever it is I'm talking about. It's, it's, it's a very nice workflow. Exactly. And one of the things that ScreenFlow will do is it makes up for some of the deficits in Keynote, where if you're doing a complicated slide with lots of moves and builds and audio, and Keynote just isn't handling it well, you can export the QuickTime movie and then do precise timings in ScreenFlow, then bring it back into Keynote as a movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, Les, you know, I am so glad you came in to talk to us. We've been wanting to have you on the show for a long time. And I hope anybody out there listening who has any interest in getting better at presenting will go over to Les Posen's presentationmagic.com website and check it out. And and just keep doing what you're doing, Les. It's, uh, we're all enjoying it. Well, thank you very much. I think the world needs a different way to present, and uh, I think we're all trying to move towards that end. Yeah. For us as audience members as well as presenters. Exactly. I just, I, just, I just sat through a presentation the other day, and boy, it was really rough. It was really rough for me. You can find links to uh, Les's website as long as as well as all of the great tools that he talked about on our website. That's at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. You can also send us feedback to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. That's an email that will show up for both me and Katie. And you can get us on Twitter. It's uh, at MacPowerUsers. If you want to get Katie directly, she's at Katie Floyd. I'm at MacSparky. And, and Les, are you a Twitter guy? At Les Posen. Okay, Excellent. so you can f- find them at Les Posen. Katie and I also are doing app.net now. I'm still trying to figure out how it all works <laughs> in terms of what I talk about in the two different platforms, but I guess that's a show for another day. All right, well, Les, I, I, th- I think you've helped a lot of people here, and uh, we thank you for your time. Thanks so much, guys. Really enjoy the experience. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. All right, everybody. We'll be back with another show next week. In the meantime, uh, go to... Uh, Les's website, presentationmagic.com, and have a great day. 